0: We recently hosted a series of lectures here at Reality SF. These lectures are for the purpose of wisdom, of how to engage and interact with our world for our formation in becoming more like Jesus. We desire to engage with these particular conversations around sexuality as a discipleship conversation of how to instill wisdom, and we need wisdom to engage. You're about to hear a conversation on Queerness in the Gospel. Myself, Jessica and Dave will throw to segments from the lecture also expand on things we could have said if we had more time. The lecture series and conversations about sexuality are not debates and are not about us causing confusion. The goal is wisdom, because you and I both need wisdom to engage in these types of conversations. starting with my journey as a gay christian, same-sex attracted christian. I was on a bicycle in Strasbourg, France, and I had decided I didn't want to identify as same-sex attracted or gay, but I wanted to remove this part of me. I didn't it was just all too complicated. I just wanted to be a christian. That was my ultimate identity. And i have been reading Michel Foucault in The History of Sexuality who argued that gay identity was an unnecessary label which controlled queer sexuality and pathologized it through surveillance culture and undermined queer freedom. However, today I've come to disagree with Michel Foucault and actually say that I think gay identity is necessary to lead the queerness we experience home in Christ. And a French gay writer after Michel Foucault, who critiqued Michel Foucault but was kind of born out of him, his name is Didier Eribon, he's a gay French secular philosopher. In his book, Insult and Making of the Gay Self, he argues that gay identity is necessary because of heterosexual prejudice. So he says, the heterosexual will always have a point of view on what gay men should or should not do, should or should not be, should or should not say. The heterosexual will understand more about homosexuality than the gay man, will always have an explanation, more often than not a psychological or a psychoanalytic one to give, and will always be ready to dismiss scornfully anything a gay man might say of himself. The heterosexual is in an, quote, epistemologically dominant position, having control over the conditions of production, circulation, and interpretation of anything that might be said about this or that gay person, about gay people in general, having control, sorry, having control as well over the conditions of reinterpretation and re-signification of anything gay men and lesbians might say about themselves, ready to deny it, devalue it, subject, subject it to ridicule, or simply reduce it to the state of an object within the categories of dominant discourse. So he's writing this kind of not long after kind of the 1980s wave, of queer theory. He's saying, actually, there's a way that we do need to regain gay identity from queer theory. And so I was wrestling with God saying, yeah, I don't really want to identify gay as gay, I don't really want to talk about being same-sex attracted, I just want to be a Christian. And I know, probably for many of you in the room, this might be something personal for you, and you're like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to say I'm gay. I don't want to say I'm same-sex attracted. That has a whole lot of problematic like, repercussions. Even in San Francisco today, years after the gay rights movement that I'm going to have to face and deal with and it's all too much. I'm going to get objectified by the progressives and I get objectified by the conservatives. I have no space to work this out to make my own authentic choice of how I want to work this out and I'm going to be forced into some Occam's razor to cut off my legs and my arms and I'll die in a hole and never flourish. (laughs) And they'll say, I can't follow Jesus if I want to. Or they'll say, I have to follow Jesus or I won't be legitimate. You know, all the things. <laughs> so there I am. I've said this on the bike. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way that I have for you. And I'm like, oh, really? It's so much easier. It's like, fine. Well, like, What do you want me to do? And then Silence. And then the next day I'm at university in in Strasbourg France where I a studying political th- science and I look down and I see this poster and it says le triangle rose the 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 pink triangle I'm like oh that's like the gay sign for like in the holocaust like that's crazy and it said in French the last holocaust survivor biography meeting tomorrow at this time Library Kleber, which was the bookstore the center of town and so I pick up this flyer and I'm like I'm gonna go and as I listened to the last gay holocaust survivor in the world God spoke to me about how important my crewness was and how he condemned the action of the Nazi oppressors how did my queerness match with scripture and Christian tradition through which God was clear that acting on their desires is against the created order? <laughs> Question. Having a desire misaligned with the created order is part of that queerness, but not the whole story. God uses the full and foolish other things to reveal his holiness. I didn't know as a gay or queer celibate Christian that I could turn my queerness towards Christ and his holiness, that that was a real option that I had. But Jesus wasn't asking me to erase that queerness. He was asking me to reorient that queerness into the loving arms of Jesus Christ, who himself became other, who himself became a eunuch, like a sexual minority of his time on the cross. And that I could let that queerness rest in him. And that through this broken story of deep evil towards this gay man, Rudolf Brasda, I was awakened to a much deeper way through the binary that was trying to control my choices as a gay man. I was led through his brokenness and through the horror of his story where a gay Nazi fed him food in the middle of a pigsty for four weeks to keep him alive and then was... um, killed because he did this and it was found out that he was gay this Nazi and he was killed by the Nazis (laughs) heard like this gut-wrenchingly tragic story of love in this gay relationship (laughs) between a gay Nazi soldier and this this gay man Rudolf and was like "How, how can God's grace be so present in such a broken situation and there it was this beautiful self-sacrifice that this gay Nazi gave to Rudolf Brasda. And just something about the whole story just made me think, we cannot erase the queerness, we cannot erase that deep experience of alterity, that this somehow witnesses to the injustice of oppression that people like Rudolf have experienced and that I carry in my own body. And that Christ, in some way identified with by being hung up on a cross and, and killed. So this was a deep moment for me where I think I started to see the glimmer of a rarefied orthodoxy, where I didn't have to erase my identity as being gay, but I could bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ, demote it under the lordship of Jesus Christ so it could be set free to witness to him. Not that he waved some magic wands to make those desires disappear, but he said, how much more glory will come through that if you trust me with it.
1: This last conversation of our last podcast was kind of bleeding into this conversation. And our producer Jordan was like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait time out. That's for the next podcast. So we, these are, all this conversation for us mm-hmm. just keeps blending together because it, 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 it all should blend together, but we just got done listening to a part of the lecture mm-hmm. from your, um, lecture on queerness in the gospel, erasing versus, uh, reorienting queerness. Um, so th- that was a really, really huge and important thing, but what, like you define queerness at night. Yeah. What is... What is queerness? What is queer?
0: Yeah, so I think in our society, queer has been defined in three main ways. The first is as a catch-all phrase for LGBTQI plus realities. The second is as a resistance word against the commodification of the gay world. So, like, I don't want to be on the gay scene. I'm queer. I'm different. I don't want all that commodification. I don't want that stereotype. I am just who I am, where I'm at, (laughs) and kind of a resistance against the cap. Capitalist model of kind of gay identity being sold to us. There's so much Mm of that, (laughs) and then there's the third definition, which is academic, Mm -hmm. which is basically any otherness which is being covered over by a normative structure of power. Mm -hmm. So that third definition is not exclusively about LGBTQI plus realities, but it emerges out of that question. It's a view of otherness or alterity that isn't being represented what's been so interesting for me i entitled my doctorate queering the queer because i feel like gay celibate christians are particularly queer and basically or weird or other mm-hmm. or mod mm-hmm. within all these conversations whether it's in the post-secular world whether it's in the church they're just like being covered over by normative you know normative structures of power and so i was like Even like the Church of England is kind of trying to do that at the moment and say, well, we were kind of wrong about marriage and now gay marriage is fine. And they've taught all these people to be celibate, but they're covering them over now rather than saying, thank you for being faithful to the gospel. And so there's a lot of grief in that conversation. I think it also relates to that early kind of identity of the church because the church was not normative. The church was full of slaves or ex-slaves, women, women. And I think LGBTQI plus people but didn't have the language for that back then in the exact same way. And so I think the church in Augustine's idea, the church has been is a peregrinus. And in his time, a peregrinus was like the word for pilgrim. But it meant someone who was like from this radically other land that like totally didn't fit in the normative structures of Rome. So there is this kind of Christian view of queerness or alterity that is what our original heritage Mm. And I think we need to reclaim that. And I think the LGBTQI plus conversation can help us regain that.
1: And and well, a couple of things. I remember when you when you started residency with us. This was like last October. Year, October. Yeah. You sat with our staff and um, a few leaders, and you were talking about how um, there's a lot of conversation in the queer community about is. Are we even queer anymore mm-hmm. because um especially on the on the coasts mm-hmm. and 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 we've become the normative yeah and what is then queer yeah and so you were talking a little bit about that which i found fascinating
0: yeah so in queer theology there's this queer theologian called lynn marie tonstad and she is at yale and she basically talks about how queer theology has been collapsed to queer apologetics or apologetics for gay marriage, and that trying to argue for gay marriage is not very queer anymore. Hmm. So what's why should we have any queer theology anymore if gay marriage is fine? We don't really need to do anything, and the transgender conversations moved on. So like, there is no queer theology, and I'm like, excuse me, like mm-hmm. there are people who are obeying scripture, being gay celibate Christians, having their eros. Reoriented that are incredibly queer and you've just removed them from the camp conversation So I'm trying to hold yeah queer theology to account and say you ha- you can't just represent your queerness Yes, yeah, right and have that privilege you actually have to allow other queernesses to speak and challenge you Which I have found your your uh, life to be
1: extraordinarily queer in the sense that like as of right now like every every sphere you go into, you're you're somehow not accepted. Yeah. In the church, strangely, just like doesn't know what to do with you, mm-hmm. and then in the culture,
0: they don't know what to do with you, and I think that's kind of queer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the other things is with that comes other queernesses like being a celibate woman or man or. Just all sorts of things that haven't been represented. Nuns and priests are like hated mm. by our society. People spit on priests in the street. Mm-hmm. So your abusers, they have a view of Christian asceticism, which is so denigrated. Like everyone's getting divorced, but no one attacks marriage. That's you know. But yeah. then everyone, you know celibacy can fail, but then we throw celibacy out and say everyone who's celibate is right. necessarily this like monster. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a typical pattern of queerness. So I think being an Orthodox Christian has become, in those ways that I've discussed, has become incredibly queer. I would even say to have a marriage that involves mutual submission and doesn't erase gender and sex is quite queer too. So so what's this conversation about then?
1: When you're talking about queerness in the gospel, I think most people would say, well, you're talking about the, um, the like... Gay, lesbian, trans community mm. inside either the church or inside the culture Th- that that's that's queer. Yeah, so, I
0: think what's also happened is Christians who are more orthodox have cast LGBTQI plus people as necessarily against the gospel. Mm they think that queerness always has to lead towards destruction. Whereas I think queerness, that otherness can lead towards a beautiful witness, Mm. like, and something that isn't destructive, but is generative. I think in the post secular world, we queerness has become quite destructive. And so I think the church has a vocation to help people reorient their queerness towards goodness, towards life, towards the resurrection reality of Jesus. Yes.
1: And so there's this, idea of like okay so let's just take your you and as an example you're uh, mm-hmm. you're one example among many cuz oh. there's mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. many different mm-hmm. like different personalities and people yeah. and experiences and backgrounds and so let's take we'll take yours um so um you're you're a, a gay man who comes mm-hmm. to f- a, an atheist gay man who comes to faith and you come to faith not from not from a place of like, I come to faith and now I'm like, just all of myself has just like, okay, now I'm just gonna be a Christian mm-hmm. and everything I did before I'll just keep doing, but I'm just gonna like now Christian. Christianize it. <laughs> yeah. But it was like rethinking everything, yeah. and because you had to rethink everything, you and this is what your book War of Loves was is a journey towards what does the the scriptures teach mm-hmm. about human. Order, sexuality, the way it got designed and made. And and your exploration led to a place of like marriage is Mm -hmm. male-female covenant for life. And this mirrors something, but then also celibacy mirrors something that's so lost in our conversation.
0: But what's fascinating is if you get rid of the belief that marriage is between a man and a woman, as defined in scripture, you lose the queerness of gay people because there is nothing different about them. So we are stuck in this like, really bizarre game with queerness right now where i think we need to re-sacramentalize creation like we need to find ways not to erase our queerness but to say my queerness can lead towards the re-sacramentalization of creation through the word of god in jesus christ like that i think you know that is what i want to do as a celibate gay christian i think the side b community wants to do that without a raising and saying, I'm not gay anymore, or I should be a Christian who experiences same sex attractions, seriously weird stuff. Imagine going to someone who's like, I'm same sex attracted. It just sounds like a disease. You know, I like I'm saying I'm gay, because that's how people understand it. But then I subvert the meaning of gay with a different view of what gay, being gay and Christian looks like.
1: Yeah, I think that's been confusing to people that come up to me from our church, outside of yeah. our church. Like, why don't you just say, if you say same sex attracted, I feel like, a sp- like kind of like code
0: yeah. in the Christian world of saying you I'm know, conservative yeah yeah yes. exactly yeah. I mean, you I'm don't want to actually I'm call a, it what it is yeah. or people tell that. me yeah. you're playing identity politics yeah. I know I'm, I'm playing the exact opposite mm-hmm. because queer theory came out of a subversion of identity politics mm-hmm. I think identity politics is idolatry politics mm-hmm mic drop.
2: Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit more about your story of like how you talked about reorienting to queerness, but you also talked in our lecture about reenchanting yeah, queerness and I would love for you to talk more just about your experience with like what we see in the desert fathers and mothers as well as your own discoveries that we didn't really get into in our time of our lecture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great question, mm-hmm. reenchanting queerness. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think expand. I think <laughs> Re-enchanting, that queerness, yeah. when we look at queer theory, it's like a radical diagnosis of a bodily fall. And actually, interestingly, Augustinian Christianity has a very similar view of what's happened to the body, desire, mm-hmm. creation. Paul says, you know, creation's been subject to futility and decay. Mm-hmm. So we all groan in this body. We We don't get to escape this body of death yet. Like we have to have that otherness, that alterity and that kind of queerness in us mm-hmm. that means we're not what God wants us to be fully yet yeah. but his Holy Spirit and the word of God comes into that queerness and actually makes it a site of witness mm. for the gospel. And I think that's a re enchanting of queerness, taking it away from the deathly fall. But I think where queer theory and queer so queer theory and the Christian gospel disagree is the solution. Hmm. And I think Christianity or the Christian gospel has a way to re-enchant queerness that queer theory doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Because we have a resurrection. We have a Christ who is radically other in his context. Does all sorts of things that are super strange for a Jewish rabbi. Mm -hmm. Like letting women, you know, anoint his feet with oil or you know, speaking that of his glory as a cross or saying, you know, I'm just going to die now and or everyone's going like, to
1: destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days.
0: Yeah. And yeah. everyone's like, what is he talking about? Oh, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood like cannibalism. <laughs> yeah. Hello. So there's this strangeness about Jesus, mm-hmm. this like alienness that the Jewish culture and Roman culture around him couldn't understand. And that breaks open, you know, our ideologies and our idolatries to see God again. And so queerness, actually is both something that needs to be re-enchanted, but also something that can help to free us from some of the harmful binaries that we live in. Um, I also think it's important that people say, well, isn't male and female a binary? And I said, but the problem with that is if you you get rid of that binary, you're just creating another binary against a binary. Like (laughs) the created good of male and female isn't meant to be a oppressive norm. But it's meant to be a creaturely gift that points towards that eventual transformation, which I think that eventual transformation is accessed now in the Holy Spirit and can reenchant the queerness, the incapacity to be part of that norm.
1: And so reenchantment, and I, I kind of want to bring this down to like yeah your body <laughs> I mean, your body
0: yeah yeah
1: reenchanting queerness is like is like one I'm not going to lose. This, this like temporary identity of, of being gay. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to almost plunge myself deeper into queerness or the otherness mm-hmm. and point all of this Eros towards a celibacy to live into this future reality so that my queerness can actually be a signpost mm-hmm. to where yes. it's all headed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually a deep instantiation of what it looks like to be a Christian disciple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that dualistic model of identity where you say this is my ultimate identity and everything else is trash is a real danger to hu- to Christian witness. That said, one's queerness needs to be submitted under the Lordship of Christ so it doesn't lead towards destruction, but leads mm-hmm. towards life. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I think, as you said, it's an, being gay is an impermanent identity. Uh, in a way that race is not impermanent. Race is a permanent identity. So marriage is impermanent. Mm-hmm. Marriage is impermanent. Yeah. Sexuality mm-hmm. is going to take on a, a transformation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that creates a space for this kind of redemptive view of queerness that doesn't have to be erasure but can be re enchanting.
2: Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that part too where you talk about your celibacy journey of like it's living into the future
0: mm-hmm.
2: of what something is that I think helps reframe kind of how we can apply that or how we can relate to that too. So. And that yeah. can also
1: be yeah. uh celibacy in the straight community. Yep. And yeah. a type of queerness in the
2: church mm-hmm. that points yeah. to this same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, redeeming heterosexuality as well mm-hmm. needs to happen. Yeah. Or does, you know, yeah, I think because uh, people in the church heterosexuals in the church believe that the
1: ultimate like fulfillment of my heterosexuality is marriage. Yes. And yeah. procreation. Yep. And what we talked about on did we do it on this night or the <laughs>
2: first night, I think. Or the first yeah.
1: night. The third yeah. night. It's all blending together. <laughs> all of
2: them together. Yeah. But we talked
1: about how um what happens in the gospel is that is that um uh, this this like mandate of procreation mm-hmm. is relativized, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what actually supersedes that is the mandate for um, making disciples. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus doesn't say go and um, procreate; he says go and make disciples of yeah. all nations, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the mandate of married uh, people, uh, single people, straight people. Mm-hmm. Uh, queer people, gay people, mm-hmm. lesbian—I mm-hmm. mean, it's mm-hmm. for everyone. This is now the mandate, yeah. and everyone has access to this mm-hmm. new type of like recreation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think yes. it 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 um, it does that to where it it does it does something to marriage that that still makes it this beautiful expression mm-hmm. of mm. like uh, Christ and the churches, the Ephesians five, obviously. And also make space for uh, queerness in the church as well and re reenchantment of both. Because I think, yeah. you know, I think, the, I think the whole thing needs to be re-enchanted, yes. right? Yes. Queerness needs to be re-enchanted. Marriage needs to mm-hmm. be re-enchanted. And we're seeing this huge backlash even right now yeah. on like things, um, you know, people trying to re-enchant sex and sexuality and this huge blowback, especially mm-hmm. among uh, Protestants. Um, yeah. um, among Reformed people that like, no, that's that's Catholic. We're not going to get yeah. into that.
0: Yeah. But it's like people are afraid of that. It's actually the, Augustinian. Like Catholic Church has its own baggage as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like I think the Catholic Church has also had the dualism we talked about in the last episode. Like in medieval times, there was a problem with kind of Eros and that kind of like seeing it as bad as well. It's not just Protestants. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I guess my point there was that anything that smacks of – Mm. something transcendent Mm. and sacramental Mm -hmm. becomes um scary like oh my gosh you're catholic Mm. or something like
2: that uh, to me it's seen as almost like repressive but that's actually not what it is like you're talking about that david yeah yeah when we're giving ourselves to something or like responding to that of Mm. that queerness and re-enchanting ourselves it isn't about just what we are preconceived notions of this, or whether the culture is telling us something mm-hmm. um, and defining it by that way, but rather, from yeah, Christ, like people yeah.
0: always respond to me like, "Oh, he's celibate. That's so cruel."
2: Yeah, or that's repressive. And I'm like, yeah. "Well,
0: you don't. You're actually the one that's rigid because you have this yeah. very, like, fundamentalist view mm-hmm. of desire that's not what I share." Mm-hmm. And so no. no, you know, and it's like you can't imagine my human flourishing. Yeah apart from the fact that I'm having sex, that is super weirdo. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. super weirdo. Weird. I think people
1: just don't, I mean, people don't frame it that way. Mm-hmm. If you got down to it, like, why aren't I fully human in your eyes because I'm not having sex? Is that why? Yeah. And when you boil it down like that, you're like, wait, what am I saying? Yeah. Wait, this makes, so, yeah. so and, Jesus was fully human. We punish
0: mm-hmm. purity culture for saying you need to have sex, you need to have marriage, idolatry of marriage. I mean, then we punish that, but we're not going to face our progressive hypocrisy system. So. That's the next one. That's episode. the next
1: one.
2: Juicy.
0: <laughs> so Jess, you briefly touched on
1: and mentioned the desert mothers and fathers. So yes. let's yeah. kind of dig deeper into that because I think there's something really redemptive there that we can yeah. learn from.
2: I think there's something even in their story of the re-enchanting queerness about their lives and the way they live their lives that is extremely, extremely queer to me. Mm. And the way that they've just dedicated their whole lives beyond what was normative of the day. To be like, I'm doing this because of my love for God mm. and my commitment to orthodoxy to live in a way that we I would say we see we need to have be re enchanted to that today of like how they live their life. So
1: Yeah, I yeah. think the motivation behind the desert mothers and fathers was the corruption of the church. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The deep corruption of the church with empire, which is mm-hmm. hello <laughs> today. America. <laughs> yeah. oh. And they just like were we're out we cannot do this corruption we christianity was always supposed to be hard yes it was not supposed to be easy which i think the queer community like points to that in such a beautiful way like why can't you have everything you want yeah you're like wait who told you you can have everything you want especially in christ like as a christian yeah life isn't easy as a mm-hmm. Christian. By the way, if anyone told you life gets easier as a Christian, they lied Sorry. to you. Oh my God. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's this thing where like, wait, Christianity should not be this easy. It should not be this in bed with empire. We are, we're leaving and separating ourselves. I think there's a invitation to, uh, a new queerness, mm-hmm. a new, mm-hmm. uh, call to becoming domestic mothers and foster <laughs> d- yeah. desert ones, but yes. demes- mm-hmm. like ones that live, yeah. In, in and around the city that, like, yeah. call themselves out. I mean, this is alien. This is yeah. um, mm-hmm. pilgrims. This is pilgrim, peregrinos.
0: Yeah. Totally. I think the Desert Fathers and Mothers also radically modeled what it looks like to trust God's spirit above mm-hmm. our agency because mm-hmm. you're pu- putting yourself over in the desert where you're not able to influence the the city directly, but you're almost, like, praying into you're going deep with the spirit so that the spirit can kind of fall in the city so you're doing like the prayerful labor the intercession that is needed and actually i think paul's model in romans 8 of intercession is super queer Mm -hmm. he says i you know i groan like a woman in childbirth like this is a heterosexual man saying i'm like a lady Mm -hmm. having children like that's very Different, And we see here, under the grace of God, gender is not erased, but it is rendered slightly more malleable than we like to think. And I think the queer community can help regain that malleability, which doesn't, you know, doesn't get rid of what it's to be, a man and a woman, like a lot of the kind of extreme transgender ideology we're seeing today. But it does say, this is not an ultimate state that these male and female gender realities are pointing towards something even greater. So it's continually pointing like i think the church mothers and fathers do that in such a beautiful way i think the other person that i love is macrina who was um the kind of church mother they called her the teacher and she taught like some of the best like theological minds of the eastern church Mm -hmm. some of them were her brothers and they they like point to her crazy like asceticism where she denied like everything but she had such a deep knowledge of the gospel that like it even surpassed them as men So I think there's like a really beautiful like, you know, interchange between people that we think are are, are just a bit queer Mm -hmm. and don't fit. Mm -hmm. And then we see in the church, sometimes we reject those people when they're the very people we should be embracing and putting at the center of the church.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that we kind of, what we tend to do, we kind of easily dismiss the desert mothers mm-hmm. and fathers as radicals. or mm-hmm. was like, we knew they kind of went too far. Yeah, when they're they're too extreme. We could never do that. On yeah. Like, yeah. Like rocks, the thorns. <laughs> yeah. And they had, they turned skin inside out and, yeah. and made oh it itchy. And yeah. And like they, they just so easily dismiss. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They dismiss it mm-hmm. versus understanding like what they were after, what mm-hmm. they were really after, like mm-hmm. rechanneling their mm-hmm. deep desires their heart their all of their lives toward this this thing mm-hmm. and how we we go we we give we sacrifice so much for like the job mm-hmm. the the family the life the the stuff we want mm-hmm. and we never second guess that mm-hmm. and we somehow like baptize that into Christianity yeah versus like the like the rechanneling of our entire lives towards yeah towards mm-hmm. Jesus and so i think we just too easily dismiss them which i think is not not a healthy thing. Take them seriously. And you could say, yeah, there are some things, there are some things about our lives and the American way of life Mm -hmm. that is deeply disordered and wrong. And we kind of like, you can say that about anything.
0: Yeah, and I also think what's really interesting about the church mothers and fathers is they point to a model of existence which makes the signifier the signified ultimate over the sign. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that. And I think that's such an important thing. And I remember early on when I was wrestling with whether I should call myself gay or same-sex attracted and saying, I actually said to God, I don't I don't wanna call myself gay or same-sex attracted. Mm-hmm. And what happened after I said that is I felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, I, I, I want you to because this is an important witness. And I didn't understand. I thought it was like the voice of, of Satan or not God. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I, was in Strasbourg France where I was living at the time and there was this flyer to meet this gay Holocaust survivor or the last gay Holocaust survivor who wrote a book in French about his experience. And I was like weeping and God was like this alterity, this otherness is so important that you represent that in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think the desert mothers and fathers represent an alternative life that radically puts the gospel at the center. You know, and I'm not saying we all need to go and separate ourselves the way they did, mm-hmm. but that extremity helped us rebalance, mm-hmm. you know, the church away from empire. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Yeah. I think there's something that's con- to consider. I think what gets scary is like we've said, we just go with the flow without thinking about it. And so while we don't agree with some of the extreme things they did, it is important to consider that's, that is something to or, consider, not forget. Or yeah. just
1: not dismiss them so quick,
2: And not dismiss right? them. Yeah.
1: But Absolutely. to learn deeply, learn, yeah. and I think that that what why we why you went there in your lecture and why we're going there is drawing this parallel that there is this what you're saying. I'm not. I'm. Not sure, I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth, and I'm not. I'm not saying this. I'm saying you're saying this, <laughs> and you can tell me if I'm I'm wrong here. <laughs> but I. What I believe you're saying as a gay celibate Christian is that there is something very important that the queer community could bring to the church that is so other Mm. that could uh realign itself to its original mission and even point Mm -hmm. towards Mm -hmm. by the way this is where we're all headed do you know that we're headed towards you're not married Mm -hmm. yeah that's ultimately what is happening Mm -hmm. and you know how i'm married to jesus you're going to be married to jesus too there's something there there's an invitation there Mm -hmm. um that has to be chosen because you have to take up your own cross like absolutely. it has to be chosen absolutely. you know I can't choose it for you I mm-hmm. can't choose celibacy for anybody yeah. you, it has to be taken up you know
0: absolutely and not forced not forced absolutely we'll, we should stop there <laughs> our DoorDash is here <laughs> okay Ooh, go get it can't get wait get
3: to get it. Do get it. it yeah
1: so we've just come back from dinner DoorDash delivered <laughs> I mean that both literal and I metaphorically yep I yes. figured It was really good. Um, now we're going to we're going to throw to a part of your lecture that I thought was kind of off limits and you took us Surprise. there. I was like mm-hmm. if you want to go there, let's w- go. We would love to go. there. <laughs> yeah. And this was during um question and response, so someone asked a question about this. So I want to throw to your answer because I thought it was really good and off limits, but it wasn't this night, which is what I loved about the lecture. Nothing was really off limits.
0: And we were even talking today about people who are, say, in what's called a mixed orientation marriage, where they're exclusively attracted to the same sex, and one day God kind of creates this little shoot of desire for someone of the opposite sex, and before they know it, they're married. (laughs) And there's such deep pastoral needs for that kind of marriage the church doesn't even really know what those needs are because they haven't been articulated. And I was wrestling with a lovely member of this church saying I feel so frustrated because why isn't it there now? Like I'm suffering and it's not that I don't love my husband and I don't have real attraction to him, but it's not easy. It's not like being straight in a marriage. And I'm not trying to repress my same-sex desires. I'm, re- I'm actually doing healthy sublimation of desire towards my husband, but it's hard and I need... I need to be part of one body that's wrestling in other ways. And, you know, it's been really interesting for me as a celibate because the black church has often been, like, and the Asian church, it's been such a, like, I just get on with that church because they know what suffering's like. And it's, like, this ineffable thing, you know? And I'm like, why is it so easy for me to just praise, get up, like, black Pentecostal woman and just, like, praise the Lord and speak in tongues? It's like, Because I know what it's like to bring glory through suffering. And they know what it's like to bring glory through suffering. And so the kind of white, rationalized church, it's like, oh, that's a bit much. Pipe down, mate. We're all rational over here and stoically repressed. You You know, it's like, can we dance up in here? You know, can we let... Can we loose the fetters? Can we freaking deal with these idolatries? And I think most people who don't deal with being queer or another ethnicity want that. It's just that there's not the permission, you know? And so I feel, for me, the answer is found in the universal, universal body of Christ together, not splitting ourselves into groups alien from each other that have no overlap. So here we are. You did it. You went we there. are delving into the waters deeper into the waters of mixed, mixed, orientation, mixed orientation, orientation mom a mom <laughs> mom yeah mom. so it's us Psybee gay christians when we get together like oh he's in a mom a or she's in a mom marriage. mixed orientation <laughs> marriage we
2: learn something M-O-M. new every day
0: <laughs> mom a mom all right yeah so there are many people in the Psybee community who i'd say probably statistically around 15 to 20 percent of Christians that believe marriage is between a man and woman. Uh, I mean, I can't really support that with a study or something other than maybe some of Mark House's work. So you can go look up Mark House if you want to substantiate my, my estimation. Mm-hmm. That, you know, these are people who are Saibi and they experience uh, a kind of special attraction to one person of the opposite sex mm-hmm. that God seems to grant by grace. And then they get married and that marriage has all sorts of like glorious, but very difficult, yeah. you know, elements to it. Like a mixed orientation marriage is very intentional because you're choosing to love someone, even if the orientation of your desire is not really towards them. So like my friend, Sean, he's in a mixed orientation marriage. And he says, you know, on Wednesday I'm gay on Friday. I'm a Gabby sexual. <laughs> You know, and then another friend of mine, Peter, said, you know, I used to be into all that ex-gay stuff. I'm so glad I'm not anymore because it doesn't really matter if my desires change. It just matters that I'm attracted to this one person yeah. legitimately. Otherwise, whether your desires are towards the same or opposite sex doesn't matter because you're committed to this one person. Another story is at seminary or my college at Oxford, there was someone there called Patrick. Patrick was, you know, the most fabulously camp vicar in training you've ever seen in your life and you're like mm, I love that silk stall oh so beautiful <laughs> they feel like the the sacred heart of Jesus and I'd be like Patrick can you dial it down honey like you know <laughs> and I'd be like Patrick I don't understand you're so queer and yet you're married to a woman I said well David when I look at my friend Mike's shoulders it's sureified evidence of God but you don't fall in love with the sex David you fall in love with a person I'm kind of walked off And so, you know, mic drop moment. I think there's a way in which our sexual orientation is fixed, but not ultimate.
1: Yeah. I mean, this gets us into all sorts of territory that I thought, again, was off limits. (laughs) But I love that we get to go there. Brings up a couple things. Number one, it does tend to side. Well, let me ask you that as a question. Mm -hmm. With sexual fluidity that people are moving into more and more. You've talked about how even sexual fluidity tends mm-hmm. to be a threat to gay and lesbian community. Right. In some sense, because you're like,
0: if you're getting rid of... I would say absolute fluidity would be. Absolute mm-hmm. So where you say like gender mm-hmm. doesn't even exist or... That's what it was. it's all yeah. fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that can erase being gay. Yeah, Because yeah, if yeah, you're uh-huh. saying it doesn't matter what sex I'm attracted to, then being gay is erased. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. But
1: what this, I think what this conversation brings up of being in love with a person, it kind of opens this idea that and I think this is true, that you you become attracted to a person. Now, there mm-hmm. is some sort of, like you, you framed it, a, a grace inside of, and an option inside of um, uh, LGBTQI plus communities that mm. become uh, followers of Jesus, where, and people, side B, Christians, that this isn't an option, mm-hmm. but... But like mixed orientation marriage, if I fall in love with the person is, which also has all kinds of complexity in it. Mm-hmm. I would imagine I would imagine the same kind of complexity, but even probably more pigeonholed of of like single straight people in the church. Yeah. like I could marry someone if I fall in love and they fall in love with me of the right person, which seems yeah. really hard to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I would imagine in, in like the gay community, like I'm open to falling in love with a person. Who is that person going to be? And then it becomes another, I would imagine, another layer of complexity.
2: Yeah, I would just say it kind of shifts the paradigm. For me, it was like talking about mixed orientation marriage is something it kind of expands an imagination in a way to mm. also where you're talking about level-setting marriage, where you're like, actually, it's not just about my own preference in a way. So it kind of shifted for me. It was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to go there. Okay, would I be open to possibly marrying someone that is attracted to the same sex Mm. at some point and I think it was one of those things where I'm like would I be I don't know I mean if this is if marriage is a gift and and things that we look at is it going to be something that I would consider if that Mm. was a possibility and I think for me it just expanded the imagination of like the the vocation of marriage Mm -hmm. like it's it's not just about my own preferences like would I be able to do that or I mean I think I feel like following Jesus, I'd have to be open to that. So that's to expand it. That has at least challenged me yeah. <laughs> like and expanded imagination. Or even when I think about the way that we have that like radical like inclusivity of our queer brothers and sisters, like how do we serve them? How do we pastor them? Mm-hmm. How do I, as their pastor, talk about relationships with them? Mm-hmm. It just kind of affects all these other things that I just was like, wow, this is so amazing and Okay, we need to like do some work and have some conversations about it. Yeah,
1: know? and I th- I think what I thought was pretty remarkable when you brought it up was I in my mind, not saying this really out loud to anyone in my mm. pastoral work, in the back of my mind thought it was always a really beautiful option mm. um for someone who seems sex attracted gay. Mm-hmm. lesbian to be attracted to a, a person of the opposite sex mm-hmm. but i never thought it was allowed to be discussed in mm-hmm. inside of this because it goes back to like um the the like pray the gay way the, th- yeah. th- the yeah. therapy uh. so <clears throat> yeah and i thought it was in that bubble i'm like i can't bring this up mm-hmm. um because i wouldn't want i wouldn't want to hurt or damage anyone but but then when you're like no th- this is this happens and it's a beautiful option Mm-hmm. And I've known this, I've known it's, been, it's a, be- a beautiful option, I just didn't know when mm-hmm. we're able to talk about it, because I really do think you can be attracted to a person, yeah. and when that happens, there's all sorts of complexity in the marriage, mm-hmm. and yet there is always complexity in a marriage, Absolutely. no matter what, and there's always, like, well, I mean, okay, so if you took this for, like, a straight marriage, mm-hmm. you're marrying someone who's attracted to all sorts of other people of the opposite sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just fall in love with one person. Like I only have attraction to you and nobody else. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's always this like, okay, how do I reorient that into my marriage and channel all of these desires to this mm-hmm. person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause this is Ronald Roheiser says that when you get married, if you're, if you're straight and you get married to the opposite sex, he's, he says, for example, let's say Charlie gets married to, um, um, Barbara, I don't know. <laughs> and hey, Barb. <laughs> to, yeah. Bra- or if you've watched Flight of the Conchords, bra-bra. <laughs> brabra, brabra, Bra. <laughs> and um, this this one, and you, what what happens is you love all women mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. this one woman, mm-hmm. and you're having sex with all women through this one woman. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the grandiosity of our of our. Eros that doesn't know how to be redirected and realigned, yeah. And then you realize through marriage that you're not married to all women, you're just married to Brabra. <laughs> and she's one very complex yeah. w- woman that you have to get to know mm-hmm. and you get to love uniquely. And I think that's the invitation to every marriage. So in this mixed orientation marriage, the, I think it's the same invitation. How do I love this one person? Yeah. And how do I love this one person uniquely? And, and
0: I think there's also what's called a queer marriage where a lesbian woman and a gay man become close friends. Uh-huh. And then they're like, hey, I'm usually attracted to not your people, uh-huh. but this is open. So and I'm, you know. And there are queer marriages. Wow. You can uh-huh. Google it. Um, no, I'm not going to Google that, sorry. Yeah. Uh, there's also, like, that's different to a gay marriage, yeah. which yeah. is between... T- People of the two, you know, two people of the same sex, but I also think what this does is mm-hmm. it takes pressure off people mm-hmm. from who are queer to have to have a gay marriage. Yes. Mm-hmm do you know what i mean yeah it also takes the repressive pressure of celibacy like i have to be celibate you know mm-hmm. it's like well no you have to be the default celibate who is holy in christ so does everybody so does everybody everyone. who's not married. everyone everybody <laughs> yeah. and yes. that includes you you don't get away with an extra <laughs> ticket on the bingo sorry yeah yeah you and, me,
1: and, and yeah. me as a married man Yes. I have to channel like yeah. ch- chastity is for everyone it's like, yes. To, yes. to reframe it. Yeah. So it wouldn't my celibacy wouldn't be a celibacy, it would be kind of a chastity towards yeah. this <coughs> one chastity. person. I, yep. Yes. And yep. your chastity gets channeled this way. Yep. So I guess with, with this, with this conversation about mixed orientation, um, marriages, okay. So this one anecdotal story. So during the lecture, someone came up mm-hmm. and it was a really beautiful conversation after the lecture and said that um, they were, uh, this person was was gay, lesbian, and started dating someone of the opposite sex recently and felt so like ashamed, like Mm -hmm. I'm denying who I am, but I really like, love this person, and I think this person is really good for me Mm -hmm. and I for them, and and then they heard you say that and they felt like liberate, unlocked, like it's, A possibility. It was like this unlocking thing, like, this is okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I'm allowed to do this. I'm not. So there was something really redemptive about that. That And again, this isn't for everybody. This isn't. No. But I think this, in, in the church, this needs to be talked about to where there are, there are, there are, like, blind spots that we don't see yet. There's meaning pastors and pastoring people this way. Like, I would be very cautious in pastoring people this way because I'm like, I don't know enough about this really to like, how do I pastor you well toward it? But I think we need to start exploring it. And this is what we're talking about that night. Like we need to have pastoral conversations around this. We need to start talking about how do we in a healthy way and, and, and with eyes wide open, like this will, this will be different Mm -hmm. and it will present its own challenges. Mm -hmm. And what you were arguing for was, and there needs to be pastoral care and community in the church for this sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And someone was, speaking to me, saying, you know, I'm on the staff and I'm relating to all these secular, (laughs) post-secular organizations in the city. You know, what do I say to them when they ask me, what's your view of marriage? And I said, well, I think you should say we are a community that supports queer Side B Christians in their vocation, because in this city, there are so many places where Side A people are supported, loved, you know, cheered on to go have their gay marriages or whatever but there also needs to be a place where side B Christians can be at home Mm. and pastorally supported. And Mm -hmm. I think we're going to get there eventually, but we have to deconstruct elements of the culture war Mm -hmm. to make this possible where that other queerness of mixed orientation marriages, queer marriages, celibacy, you know, people say to me, oh, so you're saying every gay Christian needs to be celibate. I'm like, no, I'm saying every gay Christian needs to wrestle. And that doesn't mean the gay Christians don't have that difference of the mis-misalignment that we talked about there is that difference but that is also relativized by some of the ways that god can grace our natural eros towards a different vocation to what we're expecting
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again i just kind of in my mind i i know this like opens up a <laughs> a huge can of worms to use that phrase because some people are not ready to have this conversation in the church. I mean, we're barely ready to have this conversation. This is the first time. So I'm not as a pastor and you're not just mm-hmm. as a pastor saying mm-hmm. we got this, like mm-hmm. we know what yeah. to do. I think we're like, wait, can we talk about this? Mm-hmm. Can we talk mm-hmm. about this in a loving community that, that really wants to pastor people mm-hmm. in this and really committed mm-hmm. to pastoring? Um, like you said, we're, we believe it we want to be, Uh, a place where side B Christians um, could find a home and get supported. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been my prayer, David, as you've come on, Mm -hmm. that's been my prayer since the first time we met. Like Mm -hmm. I remember you and I were, I was talking to you, we were coming back from a warrior game (laughs) and we were on the phone uh, together and we were just first time talking on the phone, like let's get together. Oh my gosh, you're in town. And I think when I hung up the phone, I was talking to my wife about who you were. She had listened to your book so she knew who you were, like, that you were in town. And it was my—I remember feeling, like, this deep desire of, like, if we can have—my desire to have a community that mm-hmm. is that lives in this way and know that this is an option. And there's so many mm-hmm. other options yeah. versus just, like, giving— like, changing historic orthodoxy for 2,000 years, <laughs> rewriting what the church has said and believed— just like like that just like Mm -hmm. it just takes a couple theologians to do this it's a couple people in academia (laughs) it's like
0: the height of pride it's It's like saying you know well i've done one experiment Mm -hmm. and it's shown these results even though there's seven million other experiments yeah Mm -hmm. and also one of the things that drives me so up the wall is people like there wasn't any same-sex desire back then it was just domination and i'm like no paul says in Romans two, like you do those things, those that condemn others for doing them. In other words, in the Jewish community, a lot of gay people having gay Mm -hmm. sex, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So this idea that it was like necessarily oppressive, I just do not think that holds. And no Pauline scholar I know worth their salt says that they say, you know, I'm, I just disagree with Paul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love scholars. that are just honest that way. So good. I just think, thank you.
1: Yeah. I just think, I think Paul was wrong on this one.
0: Yeah, I'm a liberal like, Christian. I don't think that scripture is ultimately yeah. authoritative, okay, by Yeah. Oh. And uh, yeah. Well, then totally. we can yeah. Just stop trying to say it's saying something it doesn't say.
3: Yeah.
0: You said it. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> but that's also to say I it's not that simple and there's a lot more to add than just what scripture says. I think one of the things that we also mixed orientation marriage shows us is that scripture gives us enough to know what to do with these things but it doesn't give us it's not a manual and a guide like it is it is great it shows us something but like there is so much more Mm -hmm. to know than just what the bible says
1: Mm -hmm. i I, we Mm -hmm. i think we we did this and i and this we might not do this next week when we talk about um feminism in the Mm -hmm. gospel which was really fun as well (laughs) we get to that next week but i don't know if, if this will be talked about then but what we did was the NT writes whole uh, five act, uh, play mm-hmm. thing, and if we had the first three acts and not the fourth and mm-hmm. then the fifth act, and then how do we live into the fourth act? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we get in Scripture. We mm-hmm. get like, we get the first acts of like creation and fall, mm-hmm. and Israel and covenant and mm-hmm. Jesus and redemption, resurrection, and then we get the restoration of all things. And then you get a little bit about how the church started Mm -hmm. and then you don't get anything. And we're supposed to live in between these acts by immersing ourselves. So we, like you said, we have a little bit
0: of this. We have enough to live out and we Mm -hmm. know where it's ended. I also think we're functionally naturalistic when we think about sexual ethics. We're like, oh, I just need to go study my Bible and do my work and then I'll know what to do. And it's like, excuse me, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Have you ever cared to ask him? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and people are like, "Oh, yeah, but I've already asked him, and it's fine." I'm like, "No, you haven't. Like, it's written all over your face, you know." Or they
2: don't like the answer that is going to come up when they actually ask the really hard question, and that's that's hard. That's hard to reconcile with, and that's part of faith. But and it's hugely costly, right? Yes, yeah. And
1: yeah, I think it's been my my hope, and I guess I guess I would say I'm not naive nor um prideful enough to think that we can even do it, but my hope is that we open up enough of a of a pathway mm-hmm. for like usually when gay Christians or gay people come to faith, or when Christians who are gay come out, they think there's only one option, yeah, or mm-hmm. maybe two leave the yeah. faith yeah or go yeah. to an affirming church yeah, yeah. and that is it yeah mm-hmm. and i and i just want to open up this third way yeah, that's right and that's just been my like my deepest hope like to when you, when when you're in this whether it's salvation or it's like like okay i'm 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 coming out now mm-hmm. there's like there's there is another third way and this third way is so beautiful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it doesn't come without struggle but no. nothing comes
0: without struggle yeah at all none and of I it does. i also find like gay marriage is so easy Like, what are you giving up? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you're just getting what you want Mm -hmm. and how you want it. You're not being a disciple. Like, discipleship is deny yourself, Mm -hmm. pick up your cross and follow me. Man that, like, holds on to his life, you know, will lose it. But those who let it go, you know, will gain it. So I think, why have we lost that?
1: Yeah. I've heard, I remember listening to, I think the gay, the first um, openly gay Episcopalian yeah. pastor. Gene first, Robinson. I forget mm-hmm. who. Gene, uh, yeah. Okay. May, maybe him. Mm-hmm. I might be attributing this quote to the wrong person. Yeah. Or I might be attributing the quote to the right person by misquoting. Mm-hmm. But basically, mm-hmm. this yeah. is what I remember. <laughs> and this was really profound for me. This was like when I first moved to San Francisco and I went to a lecture. And um, – he said, you know, it's one thing to take up your cross. It's another thing to put someone on the cross.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Ooh. you could call gay Christians to take up their cross, but you can't put them on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yes, and absolutely. I, I do think there is some of that in what it's you're saying. So like, good. You can invite them to take up your cross. Yeah. Now I won't make you. Mm-hmm. And I do think there is something, and this might mm-hmm. get into really gray <laughs> territory, but there is something to be said about like, there are side A Christians. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's side B. There's mm-hmm. also side C and D. Uh, yeah, but we yeah. we won't yeah. we won't get into all of that, yeah. those things, um, or, or X and Y. X and Y, <laughs> and then sorry.
0: C is when you're like, I'm over it. You're mm-hmm. all crazy. I'm gonna be everything, whatever I want to be. <laughs> okay, day. sorry, sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the crazy, chaotic one. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So, there are all that to say. There are different options. Mm. So there isn't like you have to do this one thing or else. But I, I also think, like, there has to be this invitation to go, I will take up my cross. And I think that's what you're getting at. Like,
0: Exactly. The, how do you sacrifice? How do you lay it down your life? How and I do always you do that? As society Christians, you need to come to the point where you would be willing to give up marriage. Yeah. And if you haven't got to that point, you mm-hmm. are not living as a disciple. Straight people do. I mm-hmm. do. You know. And then I need to let God, without controlling what he says, speak to me. Mm-hmm. And I think too, this has been very, in our church, when we had these conversations, very challenging to
1: our straight community in yeah. the sense that like I've had people that I've talked to that I've been like, are you saying if I can't find a spouse and I, I don't fall in love with a spouse who's like, shares my convictions of the gospel and the way of Jesus that marriage is off the table for me. Mm. I'm like, what does it mean for you to take up your cross? I mean, that's the, I'm not going to make that choice for you, but what does it mean? Would you be willing? I think,
2: would you be willing to have, entertain the possibility that that is it, that you need to take up your cross or are you going to kind of ignore it too? Yeah. And yeah.
1: And I I think it's a challenge. I think it's becoming a challenge where you're like, again, you don't get what you want in this life. Um, as one of my mentors, said. say it's like life is an unfinished symphony and you have to live with that all Mm. life is won't ever you won't ever get everything you want in
0: this in romans 7 paul says that so i don't get what i want yeah yeah but what god wants Mm. yeah it's spicy sharpness (laughs) i love it okay so
1: church in the queer community yeah um that was that was some stuff right there. Well, was that was stuff. a lot
0: of stuff. <laughs> and also to people who don't share my view or find something of that really challenging, maybe you know have the vulnerability to say there was maybe something in what David's saying that I need to heed, mm-hmm. you know, or or all of us, you know, are saying, because I'm doing this not to force people into the, you know, to where I am, but I just what I'm doing it from is a desire for them to have the fullness yeah. of the gospel in their lives. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I know that from your life. You've you've also heated the of diff, uh, different point of views that you don't yeah. necessarily align with, but you're like you're no, you're right. You're right. That mm-hmm. that is right. And and your advocacy for gay rights mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the the meaning of that and the and Absolutely. like you coming here the first time mm-hmm. for that like a pilgrimage of your own, right? But we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was it. Um next week we will be talking about feminism and the female body
2: it's gonna be good it's
1: gonna be real good (laughs) that was a crazy one
2: that was great I loved it
1: that was really fun so and Jess will
0: spearhead that next week bring on Uh, the heralds of the dawn yes I don't know what that means (laughs) the ladies the ladies the heralds of the dawn (laughs) the heralds of the dawn (laughs) sorry yay (laughs) is that what we're calling next week (laughs) heralds of the dawn
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. I'll see you next week. Or hear from you, whatever. I won't see you. (laughs) Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye.